Hey guys, welcome back to the OPD podcast with Joe and Austin. We have a special guest this week. We had a topic request and I thought this would be the right person. We have Savannah Westerby. Um, the topic was pretty much how to deal with, well, it's a two-part sort of topic here, was how to deal with weight gain being a female competitor, but also strategies for gaining muscle in a female competitor. So Savannah, I'll let you introduce yourself in a second, but basically Savannah is a, still a bikini competitor. And I say that with a bit of a smile on my face because Savannah's big. Um, and she's also gained a lot of muscle mass in the last year specifically. Wasn't it to the tune of like, you were holding the same condition, like 20 pounds up or something like this? Yeah, I think my lightest check-in with you to my heaviest check-in with you was like 21 pounds. And I mean, I'm like five foot two, five foot three. So, you know, I'm not a tall girl. So, yeah. So what is, what was your peak off-season weight? Oh, I think we got to about 67 point something kilo. What's that in pounds for the American listeners? Um, Mid 140s maybe. Yeah. So considering you're only what, five two. That's, um, yeah, quite heavy girl. <laughs> that's nutty. Um, so yeah, Savannah, if you want to intro yourself a little bit and then we'll get onto the topic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as Joe says, I'm Savannah. I, I've been competing since 2016. I started out in turn figure, which I guess if you're not familiar with UK federations, it's a bit of like an intro to figure kind of class. I mean, the person's a little bit different to ICB figure you have overhead poses, some bicep flexing, um, it's a bit softer, a bit smaller, especially when I started out, so I did a couple of these in that. My most recent season in 2018, I did junior bikini, and um, that was last time I got on stage. I was 21 at the time, so I still had a couple of years to grow. Was planning to do my last year as a junior this year, um, I'm 23, 24 in November so I was hoping to get that in but we'll see what happens with the season. Um, outside of that I work for supplement distributor, I essentially do a marketing job and that's pretty much my life, um, eating, working, training at the minute. Beautiful so I want to broach the, the first topic so obviously you've been doing this for quite a long time, you're advanced um, what was different in the last sort of off season for you that made that so productive? How were you able to put on such an amount of, of muscle mass as compared to, to previous years? And I suppose this is relevant for the, for the girls that, that are relatively on the side of they, they need more muscle to compete. What, are, could you sort of go into some strategies on, on what helped you put on that muscle mass? I'll be honest, I think for a few years I did what a lot of girls do. I had maybe a little bit of ego there. I felt like for the sake of social media, I had to always look like somebody who competes. And so for me, in my head, that equated to always having some ab lines, like having a little bit of striation on my shoulders and the right lighting. Um, and, you know, I would go through these spaces where I'd be like, right, that's it, I'm going to lean bulk, I'm going to put my food up, and I'd maybe add 100 calories or I'd take off 10 minutes of cardio. And I'd see the scale go up by that couple of pounds. And I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it being 
a good thing. For me, in my head, it always seems to me moving further away from looking good and moving further away from looking like an athlete. And, you know, I did what a lot of people do and every time I competed, I looked the same or, to be honest, I even think I looked worse in 2018 than I did in 2017. So, yeah, it took an awful lot of time to really, I guess, realise what bodybuilding is. You know, the point is that you gain muscle, you put size on, you progress. It's not about that eight-week prep. It's about the off-season just as much. Mm. Yeah, I'll so, I, have a, I had a question. Um, so now that now that you've actually allowed yourself to gain the weight and view the process differently, is it a lot easier? Yeah, I think a million percent. And the thing is, as well, it's been a long time since I got on stage. It's been over two years now, so I'm I'm not used to looking in the mirror and seeing veins on my abs. I'm not used to seeing you know first thing I do in the morning is check the way that my midsection looks or constantly looking in the mirror or anything like that I've massively been able to detach from that process over that time yeah yeah it's and and I kind of knew the answer to that already I just wanted people to hear you know hear you say that because for a lot of women especially early on it, they'll do the first few contest seasons and they never have that that proper off season. And then when, you know, when they actually try to do it, they, they don't have that skill, right. They don't have that, that mindset skill. And it's very difficult. And, you know, inevitably they end up one of two places. They either don't make progress or they end up with actually some actual like issues long-term, right. You know, because they never allow themselves to gain any weight I mean, I think it happens to men too, just to a lot lesser extent. Like some some men will have problems post show, but it's definitely uh, harder with women. And um, my other question was too: what before before you competed? What's your, what's your body comp? No, you're fine. What's your body composition like naturally? Were you kind of uh, in between? Were you kind of thinner or heavier, or what did you typically look like? It's weird because, I mean, I got into competing fairly young, probably around 17, 18, I would say, was when I started seeing bikini girls on Instagram and having those kind of goals. And so prior to that, you know, I was a teenager and you think about, you know, <laughs> what goes on inside a teenage girl's head. And um, I'm not entirely sure I really viewed myself the way I looked. But, I mean, I was always, I guess, like a UK size 8 tops, maybe. So... You know, I was small. I was probably quite an athletic frame, although I wasn't athletic when I was younger. I always saw myself as bottom heavy, but, it, you know, it wasn't muscle. You know, I wasn't particularly trained. I've been in a bit of swimming when I was very young. So, yeah, I mean, nothing stand out. I wasn't someone who naturally carried a lot of muscle. I wasn't someone who was particularly heavy. I wasn't thin. Yeah, quickly. Sorry, Joe. I just want to pull back to something I thought was like really important in what you said, Savannah, about your approach over the last year that I think I think is the single biggest issue of the reason why women, in fact, no, scratch that, why everyone doesn't gain significant amounts of tissue is it isn't some, because I asked you to break down the strategies and you didn't give me some training program or some diet. 
because it isn't, you know, a few meals of this and that or, or some special training program. It's just a relentless consistency over a long time. And this is, I think, what people need to take home is that the biggest issue with most people is they, they are consistent to a gain in phase for 12 weeks, maybe eight weeks, 16 weeks, whatever. Protein accretion is slow at the best of times, let alone in a female you know, you have to dedicate yourself to these phases for years. And I think that's what's really important in, in what you said there was, was that's what made the difference, just doing it instead of doing it and then stopping and then thinking, oh, no, I need to be, you know, I don't want to uh, gain any body fat or I don't want to do, you know, actually just committing to it over the long term. I think that's a great thing to take away. I mean, one thing that really helped me throughout the whole process, I think, to kind of detach from the fact that I was gaining weight at a pretty decent rate, as you say, especially for my size and my weight, was just remembering, you know, I've done three years of competing prior to that. I know how to get lean. I know how to lose fat. It's really easy to do. It's so, so, so easy Mm. when it's time to lose weight, to start dropping weight. And so, I mean what does it matter to anyone if I've got 10 pounds of fat that eventually needs to come off? Mm. It's so easy to do. That is the easiest part of it all. Exactly. And it's quick as well. You know, fat comes off quick. Muscle gain takes a long, long, long time, right? You might as well get it done sooner rather than later. Especially for a female. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the, um, I was going to ask, well, I was asking what your body composition was typically like just because I think another thing I try to drive home to women is that, you know, it's going to take a certain amount of body fat just to function normally, let alone gain any muscle. Like most of the females post-contest or between contests, they never even really get back to the point of full functionality, let alone make any type of, uh, noticeable improvements like you said you you almost thought you might have been regressing a little bit at some, towards the end of that before you had a a good off season and that's i see that all the time I and mean, we we know it takes months and months if not longer to even regain normal function let alone hit any type of nice stride where you're actually gaining muscle cuz you know once you hit that certain body fat where your body's pretty comfortable your, your training sessions are good you know, you feel pretty good and everything starts to really click and just people just don't even get back to that point, let alone um, put together months at a time or they hit that body fat. and They're like, OK, this is fat enough for me. I'm ready to prep again. You're like, well, we're just you're just now, you know what I mean? You're just now to the point where you're actually in a good in a good spot. So you have to get to that spot and then months or years of staying there, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because, like, Savannah, I'll let you take the reins on this, but that's exactly what happened with you. I think initially you just put up a little bit of body fat, which which might you might not have ever done if you didn't right. go down the road that you did. Um, but you stayed there for months and months and months and months uh, through this, and I'm sure you've seen this, Austin. It's like a, a push and hold. You, you gain a little bit of fluid, maybe a little bit of inflammation, but you fit out intramuscularly, and then the next week you just end up back at that set point, but a little bit heavier, you know, right. that, yeah, yeah. Right. That, ha- that happened for months and months and months. So predictable. And it was only in like 
the last few weeks of the gaming phase where we were looking and saying, ah, this is starting to skew. But that, but you right. I remember saying to you, it's like every week I'm just watching myself get fatter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but everyone inevitably gets to that time. I think the key is to actually get there, you know? Yeah. And, and it took yeah. a long time, a lot longer than I thought. Oh, yeah, you were riding it for months and months and months. And, you know, because we kept on touching on, like, your oblique lines, because they, they'd, like, start to fade and then they come back. And then they start to fade and then they come, come back. You know, each week and week, it was so predictable. But you rode that progression for ages. But I, I, I think maybe if you didn't commit to putting on that little bit of body fat in the beginning, that you wouldn't have been able to grow at the rate you did because it was just under where you were sitting really comfortably, you know? Yeah, it's like that, that idea of reverse dieting. Some people kind of fall under that camp of get back to your set point as quick as possible. And there is some merit in that for some people. And I think that that, that especially holds true for women, yeah. you know, because I just don't, I, I just don't see the majority of women making that good of progress, trying to stay lean in a male. You can get away with it a little bit more um, and still slowly recover normal function. But in a female, it's just not, you're not going to see anything good out of that in most cases. So you just kind of have to, me. yeah, right, right. It's, and of course, there's a couple freaky people out there that are the exception, but just the majority of the time, um, you're just not going to see it. And as and as you said earlier, Savannah, that's not what you see on Instagram, and that's not what people you know promote and talk about. So it's so hard because you feel like you're doing something so much different than everyone else, and um, yeah, it makes it tough because you are doing something so much different than everyone else. You're making a lot of progress, and they're probably not you know so it's it's tough so we've touched on kind of the the angle of we just want to be consistent and potentially there may have to be some body fat gain along the way um how about you know the way that you see because savannah you're in the industry you're, you're likely a lot more aware psychologically just subconsciously of what other women are doing than maybe me and austin are beyond our own clients are there anything, are there things sort of training wise that you think you might have done in that time that, that some people are missing out on it? Was there anything specific that, that you'd love to hammer home to girls that are looking to drive that uh, specific adaptation of muscle group, of muscle growth? I think probably the biggest thing that would change with my training was actually doing less, I would say for me personally. And I'm not just sure if it's because maybe you know I do have quite a busy work life outside of bodybuilding you know I, I mean I know that everyone has other commitments and everyone has something that they can pull up but for me I, I, I probably don't always deal with stress as well as I maybe could and I do get a little bit overwhelmed and do maybe need that little bit more recovery and um, so yeah I would say I mean a lot of the time that we've worked together I've been literally doing a working set mm. and it's weird to do that. It's weird to do we feel assets and to build up and to warm up into movement and then just like, right, I've got to get everything that I can out of this one set and then move on, you know, get on with the rest of the session. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, probably, to be honest, just programming things a bit smarter because I always used to see it as if something is difficult and something is horrible, that is exactly what I am doing. If I hate doing dumbbell split squats, 
that's going into my leg there and I'm going to do them until I can't walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, for sake, what is going on here? There we go. So, so you were, I, I missed part of that. I kind of cut out, but so you were kind of under the impression that the more exhausted you were, the more effective it was basically. Yeah, I was very more is more. And to be honest, I was I was following the training style that a lot of people do, you know, one top set, one back off and um, training five days a week. When I started with G, I was doing a basically like a push pull legs up lower kind of split. Yeah. But it seems to me whatever magic has done, um <laughs> moving to a four day split, doing less volume, I'm growing better at it. Yeah, I think that go ahead, Joe. Sorry, Austin, go on. No, I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's such an individual thing, but it comes down, a lot of that comes down to effort. And that's just because your effort was so much more than most people that, of course, your volume has to, has to match, right? I mean, that's, and you've probably become more advanced, and I'm sure Joe talks to you about it through coaching. It's just what the effort's supposed to be like, different cues and stuff when you're training. I mean, I know personally, I'm sure Joe could probably attest to this, and I'm sure you could too, is that early on I could have I could train six days a week and do a bunch of sets in a workout because they just weren't that effective yeah. like like they they were like I was training hard but it wasn't I wasn't creating this good of tension you know what I mean the tension wasn't as good so the central fatigue wasn't as much right so and now now it's like it's like if I if I could go out and literally do one set and be done with my workout, I would do it. <laughs> like it's, you know, um, it's, it's just different as you get more experience. But yeah, again, there's no way that most people are going to walk in the gym and do five or six days a week at with any type of volume with that type of intensity. You just won't recover. Yeah, I think the important thing to take away from that, that, you know, from a coach's point of view, why Savannah did so well is that we ensured progression and that's really the only you know progressive overload works simply because it's a novel stimulus yeah and it doesn't have to be load it can it can be volume it can be reps it can even be something silly like less time between your reps um for, for a greater metabolic stress or whatever it may be or adding a rest pause on i suppose that's volume accumulation but quite simply to add muscle you have to do more over time but there's caveats in there as well like a sufficient amount of intensity like a sufficient amount of frequency so there's a lot of girls out there i think that are going in the gym and doing a lot of work and working very hard but because they're not being diligent on having a progression scheme in place or even tracking what they're doing they they aren't making long-term progress in terms of like amount of work done if you get what i mean amount of work performed amount of load moved through space it never really changes you know yeah it just it's just the same it's a lot all the time but it's never more and it's and it's tough because you get to the point they get to the point where they've done so they've been doing so much for so long that how do you really add more mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know like you can't you can't do you're not really going to, be able to do more volume if you're already training six days a week and you're already doing a bunch of work while you're in the gym. Of course, you could try to increase load, but like now you're at the point where your recovery capacity is so taxed that you almost have to kind of scrap it all and restart. 
and you know the first time that I've had deloads as well. Yeah, yes. yeah. And so what? Great when you deloaded, when you deloaded and and came back, um, did you feel good? Was that like a new reset, and you were able to pr- progress again? I know that Joe and his page has done a side by side before of the amount of water that I've dropped before from doing a deload. The first yeah. one was definitely difficult for me. You know, I've never taken, I think it was like five days in a row of the gym in my life. <laughs> I really know when I need one now. I think once you start actually being forced to take them, you even you see it in yourself, you're like, hmm, do you know what? Like, I'm trying really hard here and I'm just not getting out of your sessions, what I did a few weeks ago. And I can kind of see it come in when Joe's going to say, right, you ready for a deload now? And yeah, I just, I always used to, I'd get to that stage where I probably needed a dealer. You know, I was absolutely battered. I was living on stimulants. I'd have maybe four bad sessions in a row and then I'd kind of sort of snap out of it the way that you do when you push past these things. But it wasn't the same as coming back from just saying, you know what, I'm just going to take a few days to actually recover and actually get myself back to a good spot. Yeah, and yeah. I think that links back to the progression point because it, maybe it was the first time you needed a deload because it was the first time you you driven the magnitude of workload increases that were required to drive that magnitude in skeletal muscle mass increases. You know, and I, I honestly think if anyone can get to like maybe past eight weeks, I was like, most people you should be feeling it at week four. If you've got up to eight weeks on a mesocycle and you don't feel like, oh my god, I need a week off you could probably be increasing your workload at a greater rate than you are. Yeah. And it's funny you brought up the, the deload being difficult. So you almost get better at deloading over time, being able to relax and yeah, let your mind. I enjoy them now. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's funny because I, if I say the word deload or rest days to someone that's new or someone that's kind of was in the same camp as you, they almost, that creates more stress, you know, because they, they think, Oh, less work, you know, less result. And now anymore, I'm like, shit, I have no problem not training. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, and you almost, you embrace it because if you feel beat down and, you know, tons of central fatigue, I mean, you're ready, you're ready to deload. You know, that's going to make you better. And you don't, you don't even think twice about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, even as a coach, you can be techy about how you put deloads into a client's program. But over time, as you say, they always end up saying, look, can I just have the days off? You know, and sometimes you go like, <laughs> the first time you deload a client, it might be like, okay, we're going to do like uh, half volume, um, pull the intensity down or just do muscle rounds or whatever it is. And they're like, yeah, you've got to get in the gym. And then a couple of years down the line, they're like, look, can I just have a week off? <laughs> it always happens. Yeah, shit. It, it's like I said. You don't even you don't even question it anymore. If I if I need a day off, week off, whatever, just take it. It doesn't it doesn't bother you a bit because again, once you get performance minded, your whole goal is training performance. Like your your goal isn't just training exhaustion. Your goal is you have a goal when you go in the gym. You where you need to progress on reps or weight or something, right? So if you can't do that because you're fatigued, then you're going to be disappointed. That's frustrating, yeah. Right. Well, but the thing is that people don't understand is if they don't have that, that progression scheme, 
where they're just going into the gym for exhaustion, they're not going to know they need a deload. You know why? Because every session they're going to be tired. They're just going to go in till and beat the shit out of themselves till they're tired and they're going to go home. Where, whereas now you actually have something that says, I did better or I didn't do better. And if I didn't do better, then how do I fix it? Yeah. And in that situation, Austin, not only are they not progressing, but they're regressing, you know, because they're past the point of chronic overreaching, but they don't know that because they're not actually monitoring progress. So just by nature of being in that like overly sympathetically stressed state, you, you do less regressive underload. That's something I used to do as well. I used to, when I had, this is a couple of years back, if I had a session where I was feeling absolutely rubbish going into it, like, oh, you know, I'll just do a pump set, you know, I'll just do some glutes maybe. And I just think now, why did you not just take the day off? <laughs> Junk volume. So not only is it inefficient, but you're probably just making it worse. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's another, that's another good topic is like the whole idea of um, deload training versus just taking days off. Right. And that's a tough, that's a tough one because I think once you get to a certain level, it can be very difficult to deload train, right. To even do that. And you could question whether or not you're really just prolonging the whole process and rather than just getting out of the gym, mm, exactly. you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is funny though, Joe, like you said, you get to the point, that's that whole that's that whole subjective well-being thing, right? People just are used to feeling a certain way for so long that they just push through it. It's, and they don't really, don't really think much about it. A little more stimulants, whatever, just do whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Digging the hole deeper without filling it in, you know, and the right. classic bodybuilder phenotype that, you know, more is better all of the time, which is, you know, I think we're painting a good picture here thus far is that that's practically the opposite of what Savannah did and then had the most successful year of her bodybuilding career. You know, um, I like the, uh, I like your <laughs> regressive overload. <laughs> regressive underload. <laughs> that's, that's what I've so done for the last few months, bro. Yeah. <laughs> regressive <laughs> overload. Oh, fuck. That's good. I was releasing my new regressive underload ebook. Yeah, how to Joe regressive underloading with Joe Jeffrey. The, the, tra the training program is that that um whatever the fifty sets per day study from the show. Yeah, he, how to how to make yourself worse. <laughs> he, it, 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 and he goes how to make yourself worse using science. The PD side would be the best bit in that. <laughs> You you even uh, you even have citations in there for the studies. That would be a good April Fool's like. <laughs> Please put this is just like a condensed blog on the site. Yeah, I'll put it out as a serious article and see if anyone. That would tell me if actually anyone reads any of the crap. <laughs> if anyone, I'll get no bullshit on it. <laughs> How many people share it to the story? Like, yes, this. <laughs> yeah. Soaking up the knowledge, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, during getting my steps in this morning. <laughs> God damn it, that's fucking funny. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I wonder, like, did you actually read this or or watch it or listen? Well, it's, bro, people don't read it, man. I know we're off topic now, but you know, I put that dark chocolate one out. Literally, every single comment 
Oh, I saw the questions. Yeah, I saw them. My response to everyone was just, please read the articles. Like, Does Coco do the same thing? I'm like, they says that in the first sentence. You couldn't even get past the first sentence. I like the people who've shared it and then they've put the chocolate up and it's like a bar of Bourneville or something. Like, yeah, that's like yeah. that chocolate. <laughs> yeah. That happened quite a few times, didn't it? Yeah, it was like getting a uh, love. Awful dark chocolates. Yeah, you like, oh, didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably why. That's probably why I get like 200 views on my YouTube videos, maybe because it's too much to ask for people to comprehend. I watch your YouTube videos, bro. Yeah, they're not bad. I think they're pretty good. I like the whiteboard chats. Yeah, I think they're, I don't think they're hard to understand. No, no. I think they're pretty easy to understand, but you know, whatever. People's, we're in uh, days of TikTok, Twitter, and fucking stories. You know what's funny is like I know we're getting off on a rant with the stories. <laughs> Do you ever notice? You ever notice that you get more hits in stories than on the feed sometimes? Yeah, every time. Yeah, every time. Because that's how fucking short people's attention spans are. I was like, I can't even put anything informative on a story because it'll click to the next story before you can even read it all, unless you hold your finger on it. What's been massively difficult for me is <laughs> trying to like write content for the site is tr like it's the hardest thing isn't even collecting up the data and like learning about the subject and getting all the references in line the hardest thing is writing it in a way that people like might just read it right like trying to make it with as few words as possible and like, even then i'm probably only getting like a five percent retention like yeah well you need you need some better uh, clickbait titles is what you need. If it was a three second video of me doing the worm or something with just the, like flashing, you'd up go viral. Comments. You'd go viral. Yeah, people would love it. <laughs> anyway, what well, since we were talking Perhaps about? Yeah, we'll go back. Sorry, <laughs> Savannah. We've we've done training. We we know that we need to train progressively. We know that we need to be consistent. What about anybody listening to this that, that's a female that's wondering what to do with their nutrition? Because I often, you know, in Austin, I know that you'll get this. Get girls message me saying, like, you know, um, there's a lot of men putting out a lot of good information on nutrition and stuff, but where does that leave female-specific nutrition? Did you do anything different for the fact that, you know, is this, like, sexually dimorphic in, in nature? Or, like, um, is it just a basic calorie surplus eat enough to grow it was definitely the highest my food's ever been in an off season i think i'll be honest i don't even have a clue how many calories we got up to but the highest i've been possibly about 2400 for a pretty brief amount of time whereas this time it was pretty heavy and um, it was when i was doing things by myself i'd always have like an inch workout i'd always try and have the bulk because my carbs kind of carry workout but there were always a lot more moderate amount and so suddenly be having 75 gram of carb in trend 150 175 per uh definitely a lot more food than i was used to mm -hmm. um and do, and do you think that maybe if you hadn't had a coach so this is a good point if you hadn't had someone to sort of be accountable for do you think there would be a fear there of eating that much food Yes, because I did it myself for a 
pretty decent amount of time, literally from stepping off stage in June 2018 until I started working with you in November. Mm. That was what I was doing myself. Um, and I just, I'd get to a certain number in my head and I'd just, I'd hit a bit of a wall, you know, I'd be like, well, you know, maybe I'm just being greedy and maybe I'm just going to gain fat after this point. And, you know, <laughs> I wasn't, I knew it deep down, you know, I would look at the photos and I would look at the way that body composition was changing, I would probably be literally just on the verge of making some really good progress and then I'd drag myself right back to where I started. Right, so the fear. Yeah, that's a great point. The fear of not ever just taking that plunge. That's definitely like, I think females are under a great amount of pressure to feel like they should look a certain way all the time, you know. And and I know that's a little bit of a stereotype, but I do think it's true. I mean, you've, you'll have a better scope on this, Savannah, than me, but you know, I, I do feel like a lot of women feel like they should be within striking distance of the state, especially since there are higher profile coaches saying nonsensical things like women should always stay within, what was it, five pounds of their stage weight or whatever bullshit he was talking about the other day. Um, you know, you always think you're doing something wrong and you're scared to ever actually take action, you know? And you end up Even getting- now, I mean... I'm very comfortable with the route that we took, you know, like I was very comfortable getting the weight, I was very comfortable with eating food, but I mean, you've maybe noticed like I never post meals on the story and that was literally because if I was to post something on the story where I had a bagel after training, I'd get people to apply like, why do you need that much <laughs> <laughs> how, how long do you put that in the toaster? How do you make that? Like people would be like, well, why do you need that amount of carbs? And I'd be like, well, yeah. I mean, that's why you look the way that you do. You know, you won't eat. <laughs> well, exactly. But you can just show them the progress photos now and be like, well, that's why, you know. Well, and that's, that's actually what we were, exactly what we said earlier was that you kind of, you got to that point where you were probably close to making progress, but then you pulled back. And that's like we were talking about. It's once you finally get your body into balance and get comfortable in terms of body fat and food consumption, you're really just getting started at that point in an off season. So, so many people get to that point and then that's where they get uncomfortable with their body fat and then they pull back and they never really let things open up and feed for long periods of time. Like you said, you would get to 2,400 calories briefly, you know what I mean? And it would and then you would kind of get scared and, mm. and pull back. And that's, I, it, I, I feel like that's, in terms of body image and fear, that's pretty much where most, especially where most females will end, is right about that spot. But the fact of the matter is, and, and Joe, you've seen it, and well, in Savannah, you've seen it now because you went through this long off season, is that once you kind of hit that point and your body is comfortable, you don't just pile on fat indefinitely. It's very, very slow. You know, once your body gets comfortable, as long as you take your time, you can still continue to gain weight with pretty minimal fat gain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's a great point that you put in, in here, Austin, about like, the time that things take. I think we need to realize that it's not, non, it's not acute in nature, gaining muscle. It, it not only takes a long time to grow, but you also have to let it sit there for a while as well, really, to let any of these like, non-acute processes finish. And I think what a lot of competitors do especially women is compete well, i'm going to have a 12 week off season then i'm going to do the show later in the year and then i'm you know i've done the show in november and i'm going to do the show in june 
and you know, you're only ever really driving that process for 12, 16 weeks. It's just not long enough. No, it's, it's hardly, that's hardly even long enough to, to normalize metabolic and hormonal function if you're lucky. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, but, but again, like I said, once you get to that point where your body's stable, you're really just getting started and that's where you need to put in the time. I mean, I see it with myself. I've done it enough times now to where I hit a certain body fat. I know that I'm okay. I know if I keep pushing slowly, I probably won't get that much fatter. So Savannah, I think, so let's touch on your sort of uh, goals for the future. That'd be pretty cool because I believe if you have another gaining phase that was even half as productive as the one that you just had, there's no way on this planet you're ever going to fit. Bikini I, to be honest, looking at your physique now, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to fit into the bikini class. So do you have big goals and aspirations for the future? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, every time, to be honest, I put check-ins up on my story, I get people asking what class I'm doing. And I'll be honest, like, I don't even know myself. Like, I keep telling everyone that the plan is just get the fat off, just get lean, just see what I look like at the end of it. But for sure, I think, I mean, I've said to you, there aren't girls, even at the upper level of bikini, that I really look at anymore and think, yes, that is it, that is what I want to look at. And, that, and that's not taking anything away from them, you know, like there's some absolutely amazing bikini girls, you know, even UK amateur level, you know, and they've got absolutely beautiful physiques. But the people that make me go, wow, these days are more the figure shaped girls you know i like a quad sweep i like popping lats i like round delts and so if it's possible for me to even carry anywhere near that amount of muscle i would rather build up towards that or attempt to build up towards that than be in a position where i'm like okay i can't train this muscle group anymore and i can't go heavy on this anymore and I've got to pose in this way to have this, that, and the other body part. Mm. So, yeah, for me, the figure look is more what I would aspire to these days. Sweet. There is, um, there's a topic that I really wanted to touch on that's almost like the opposite side of, of a successful gaining phase. Um, because, again, something that this is going to get a lot of female listeners, and I think a big struggle as a coach, again, I know Austin sees this, is women that, really struggle with with dieting phases in terms of like hunger signaling being relatively dysregulated and i think this is just because of the amount of time that they spend in a deficit so i wanted to ask you because i am your coach like admittedly but i don't know the answer to this question i don't think we've ever spoken on this are you finding adhering to a calorie deficit after a long sustained period in a in a energy surplus easier now more manageable than when you'd done this previously really really freakishly almost annoyingly easy and i know i've had a few people kind of say well you know is it maybe because food got so high and you were sick of eating no not for one second i could have continued to eat more and more for as long as you'd wanted to push food up i think for me just because i've dedicated so much time to the eating more to lifting more which I'm continuing to do and um, just to generally grow in in my head it was very easy to get to right I want this I want to get fucking lean and I want to see what I look like at the end of it and so I almost I don't see 
the hunger yet. I mean, maybe further down the line, I will, because I think inevitably when your body fat is low enough, you're going to feel rubbish. I mean, you can be eating all the food in the world. You can be on low cardio, you can be on low stims. You're going to get to a point where you feel rubbish. But for now, it's been extremely easy. And I think anyone who spends a lot of time around me will vouch that. I don't whinge, I don't speak about food, you know, I am just just getting on with things probably to the point of not actually noticed yet. Yeah. That's a good question. You, well, I don't know if you saw the video I did yesterday, it was on ghrelin, Joe, so um, I found a couple studies, there wasn't a lot on physique athletes, so obviously it's a little bit different because our dieting is a little more extreme, but yeah, they were showing like percentage increases in people in ghrelin levels with long-term dieting, like multiple months and how it had bounced back and so on and so forth. And I think that's another point is that these successful off seasons are also setting up successful contest preps. Cause you know, these people are, they're going into these, they're having these short off seasons and they're going back into these fat loss phases without even being fully recovered that so now not only they did not make any progress they have a downregulated you know metabolism that's not fully corrected maybe some hormonal dysfunction and then they go into these fat loss phases and it's extremely difficult so they're going to come out of it probably looking worse mm-hmm. than they did the previous time and it just and it's not the first it's not always the new new competitors because they can kind of get away with it for a couple years you know until stuff starts to slowly get worse and then eventually they're like shit well why am I not looking any better at these contests or why am I even looking worse or why is it so hard for me to get in shape compared to my first show yeah and it's usually cumulative as well isn't it austin so so let's say they don't spend enough time in the gaining phase they then go into the diet they do the show they come out the other end they don't spend enough time in that gaining phase they go for another diet um they come out the other end of the show where's hunger signaling then you know your ability yeah. to just be able to yep. adhere <laughs> to a normal surplus is now it's completely blown out the water and you know these if you i'm sure you've seen the literature or not Austin on things like collateral fattening. Um, like oh, yeah. The degree of overfeeding that you may have to go through just to regain normal hunger signaling. You know, this is a matter right. of health, not only just your physique. So this all harps back to that same, the first point you made, Savannah, this is consistency. You know, it's a commitment over the long term. It's not, it's not one meal, it's not two weeks, it's not four weeks. It's a surplus for what could be a year plus you know yeah well what's what's interesting is this is one of the questions i'll ask people and you and this will make sense too is let's say i get a new i get a new client that wants to prep and i kind of suspect that they they have fallen under this like not long enough off season they've done it multiple times so on and so forth so i ask about their hunger patterns and if i if i get someone that says that they're always they're always hungry and they're having all these cravings and they're in the deep in an off season i'm like no Nope. I said, you're not, you really think that you really think that your hormones are regulated and ready to go into a contest prep? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Because that's not to say that they couldn't make it through it, but it's going to be a nightmare, you know, and what's the damage going to be? It's just going to continue to get worse. Those hungers, those hunger cues, when we're talking about ghrelin and also 
leptin levels, there's a reason. It's all about energy homeostasis. Mm. You know, if you if if you're feeling these crazy hunger cues in the off season, having all these wild cravings and shit when you're supposed to be gaining muscle and in a surplus, there it's something's not right. Yeah. Coaches need to start taking responsibility for this as well and not just allowing clients to compete over and over again in like unbelievably aggressive energy deficits for long periods. Like you should be able, if you can't right. come to the other end and regain normal hunger signaling in a couple of weeks, you've fucked it. Like, I mean, Savannah, you know, Christian, he got peeled for a photo shoot, check in next week. Yeah. I'm completely satisfied. Zero hunger immediately back at maintenance you know and it's like yeah because we weren't you know because you did the work last off season you know and it's it'll be the same thing with you you know because you put that time in you devoted that that time what most people won't do to, to make the long-term improvement yeah it's scary too it it's just scary to me because these people are doing this and then you know they're doing it and then what ends up happening is they end up having this this really disdain for bodybuilding in general and they hate it and they hate the whole industry and they think it's stupid. I see that from females especially. Right. Mm. All, all the time. And it, and it causes them to, they, and their, their shelf life's very short. We, we did an episode on this, the shelf life thing. So, and, um, and then what happens? Well, the only way that they can possibly normalize is they have this huge body fat overshooting after it's all said and done and they stop competing and they just going back to eating Normally, what happens? They end up regaining twice the amount of body fat that they ever even started with. Yeah, that's before fattening. Yeah, yeah, it's right. It's it's such, and people don't even realize that they're they're doing this damage. I've gotten this so much, especially with, and I'm not calling out anyone specifically, but especially with like these local, some of the local people that have the that are on teams, you know. They're all their girls are on teams and they all do the same shows every year with each other. And then I get them four years into it and they're completely fucked and their hunger's all fucked and their hormones are completely fucked. And it's just awful, you know? And then what do you have to tell them? Okay, well, guess what? You're about to get a little bit fatter, <laughs> you know? It's, yeah, it sucks. It's tough. So, on that, Savannah, if you had to give, I'm going to ask you a difficult question. Give us a breakdown of what women need to know. Give us the, in fact, give us the top five. What do young women with aspirations to compete need to know about their off seasons? What do they need to do to make sure they're progressing in an off season? Okay. Um... I would say log your lifts. That doesn't mean, you know, not everyone has to carry a little book around, you know. Sometimes I'll do that, sometimes I'll not do it, you know. Sometimes there'll be certain movements that I track more strictly than others, you know, things like my RDL, things like squat, where more likely, you know, to be able to put a 2.5 aside on every other week or so. But yeah, 100% log your lifts, get that into your head that getting stronger is going to be part of it. So that's probably number one. Um, number two, I would say don't be afraid of gaining weight. I think it's something that you'll realise as well, the more times that you cycle through the dieting down and then putting weight on, the better the weight will look. I always think that on women especially, 
a bit of fat looks better when it's sat on top of some muscle. Mm. And so, you know, you can sit at 50 kilo and be tiny all year, but you're never going to get to that point then where even in off season, even when you, you are eating more and you're having a little bit more freedom, you can still maintain a good body composition. And I would say as well, the longer you hold a weight, the better it will look. And so the way that that 10 pounds up from stage looks in the weeks after is not the way that 10 pounds up from stage would look in maybe three months time. Um, third one, I would say get used to eating, you know, um, don't care if anyone comments on how much you're eating, literally do not care, put it aside, enjoy your food while you've got it. Like um, you always used to tell me off not taking me off plan meals because <laughs> I'm not a have a pizza. I'm like, so is it all right to do the thing I've been asking you to do for the last like 30 weeks? Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think it took me about five months to off that pizza. <laughs> but yeah, just enjoy the food while you can, you know. Um, number four we're up to. Yeah. So remember that what you are doing right now is the difficult bit. As we've said, dieting is so easy. It's so easy for me just to go, do you know what? I'm going to knock off 400 calories next week and I'm going to start doing 20 minutes of cardio here and there next week. That is so easy. That requires zero skill. You know, the hard bit is going to be the bits that we just said, you know, they're getting the food inconsistently, they're getting stronger, seeing the skill go up, having to buy baggier clothes. And, and that's probably number five, to be honest. Get yourself some big T-shirts. Mm. You know, find yourself a fella who wears really big T-shirts if you have to and steal some. Because you are, are not, you all the way through prep, you might have trained in your little sports bras and you might have had a little look between your sets and thought, oh, you know, my belts look nice here and my abs look nice here. You're going to have to get used to not doing that, you know. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be unhappy with the way they look. Because to be honest, I wasn't, you know, um, I was off season for a pretty long time. I got used to seeing myself with more body fat, as I said. You can absolutely be completely comfortable, but just you're not going to see those day-to-day, week-to-week changes that you did while you were dieting. And so if that's going to bother you and that's going to play on your mind and you're going to have a bad session, because like one for me, I cannot leg press with a tight T-shirt on because I am so conscious of that roll on my stomach cannot do it, I have to wear a big baggy top to leg press. So just get yourself some good clothes. That's a great point about not expecting changes week on week and just coming back to consistency. I just wanted to like make a point of note on that one because that's really important. Um, but yeah, that's awesome, Savannah. I think that's really valuable information and I think this is something a lot of females will want to hear because I don't think it's something that um, you're exposed to a lot in the fitness world. Um, you know, I, I, I personally haven't seen much good, you know, rational, logical advice like this from a female competitor to a female competitor about how to actually, you know, drive appreciable gains in muscle mass. So I think when it comes from the horse's mouth, so to speak, is it's much more valuable. So appreciate you joining us today, Savannah. Really cool. I did have, I did have one question, a fun one before we close out. Savannah, yeah. where are where are you from relative to Joe? Your accent is much better than his. Better. Better. It's horrible. <laughs> it's much. It's oh, much. Um, She's from so, the end of the country. No, so yeah. it's much. What I would say is, it's much um, 
Oh, it's much heavier than Joe's. Yeah, it's a very broad <laughs> accent. Like, I've attempted to do Christian's accent and other sort of strong accents before, and <laughs> my accent is so broad, it just doesn't change. I cannot do anything with this. But yeah, from Joe, I am North East. I'm from Hull in Yorkshire. I live in West Yorkshire now, so I'm like Leeds area. You haven't got a strong Yorkshire accent, though. Austin, I don't know if you'd know what the fuck she was trying to say if she had a strong Yorkshire accent. That's a well, weird. I'm trying, you know, I'm just trying to learn because from all the uh, the UK guests, I'm trying to learn the different regions because, you know. Remember when we had Christian on? Yeah, yes. Yep. So he's, so his, he's from Birmingham, which is about 45 minutes from me. Um, well, yeah, because Birmingham's where I landed at. That was the airport that I was at. Yeah, yeah. So we drove from there to mine, didn't we? About 45 minute drive. Um, yeah. His accent's completely different from mine. Um, yeah, yes. well, about what, two hours south of me. Mm. Okay. See, yeah. in America land, that's not very far. Like, if two you hours, no. an hour, that's on the road. Yeah. If you drove, if so, if you drove two hours here, the accent wouldn't really be different. Uh, two hours, yeah. you had ten accents here. Yeah. yeah. Two. Yeah. Unless, unless you ran into someone that had moved to that area from somewhere else, you know what I mean. But we it's have not sense in the same place. That's the weirdest yeah. thing. Well, we do. I mean, we do a little bit, but not if you were born here. I mean, most of the people where I'm from sound about like me. They don't really have, it's not much different. So, but yeah, you just go, but we have like what? About 50 of your countries in ours, <laughs> size wise. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's lots, there are lots of accents here. They're just spread out. You all sound the same to me, bro. You and Sam, um, uh, Metaform Sam, sound the same to me. We do have the same accent. Yeah, because Sam, Sam has a Midwestern accent just like me. So you would get, this, what would sound different would be like New England accent, like Boston and New York. And, um, and then Southern accent. Chris Fulton sounds different to you. He has a so Chris has a southern accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. Is definitely different to yours. But what you know what's funny about that is Chris isn't that far from me. Chris's accent is like how an English person would see <laughs> an American's accent on TV. Like, like a, yeah, like yeah. a southern, right? Like uh <laughs> yeah, like if southern. there was an American in a cartoon, he'd sound like Chris. <laughs> it's proper, yeah, it's proper southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> we've gone way off course now um, okay Savannah, I just, I was just <laughs> before we before we uh, let you go can you let everyone know where they can find you and check out the, these crazy transformation photos of the muscle gained and follow your journey to lean this year yeah muscle hopefully to come also um so probably instagram's best place to find me i have a very awkward spell name that everybody gets wrong but yeah it's just my full name on instagram which is savannah westerby so s-a-v-a-n-a-h um same on facebook and that's pretty much all i'm active on to be honest savannah what's the origin of your name it is apparently from a film i think it's a french film that my mum watched when she was right. younger and liked yeah you're the only savannah i've ever met i think that's common here. So that's an American name. Is it? Yep. Oh. Yep. I know, I know like two or three of them. <laughs> so. oh. yep. anyway, um, 
thanks for listening guys i know a lot of you found that very useful um please do check out the sponsors below um all of savannah's social links are going to be in the um show notes below or if you're checking this out on the website there'll be you have to click through and it will be at like the little blog post below so please do go and check savannah out um follow her journey um as always mine and austin's social stuff's going to be in the links below as well so check out all of our stuff there and um thanks for listening guys we'll see you next week